It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we're going to break down the aftermath of the Nolan Arenado trade. We're going to talk about Nelson Cruz back to the Twins, what the likely return to the pre-2020 playoff structure means, and farewell to Dustin Pedroia. We're also going to welcome on a special guest, uh, Shakia Taylor, who is nominated for a Sabre Analytics Award, um, and we had a pretty fun conversation with her about all sorts of things, so please make sure to stay tuned be listening for that but first Nolan Arenado is a St. Louis Cardinal and I'm not honestly sure Matt where to start with this I I thought for so long that this couldn't happen like any Arenado trade couldn't happen because there's just so much of complication here he had an opt-out and he had a no trade and he had a huge contract and he just had a lousy year partially due to a shoulder injury and nobody thought that the Rockies front office was going to be easy to deal with and I thought all that meant for sure that he would stay. And then he didn't. He got traded to the Cardinals in a deal that was, I don't know, I don't know a stronger word than underwhelming that I would actually want to say on the air. Um, He's a Cardinal now. Where do you start with this? Which side are you looking at here? I like, I was shocked that it happened. Um, You know, the Rockies have um, definitely had their own way of doing things for a few years. And, um, you know, we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. And one thing, they've generally been pretty protective of their stars. you know, they um, went out of their way to give get get a, uh, agree to a contract extension with Charlie Blackman. Um, they did the same with Nolan Arenado when people think they wouldn't, when people think they weren't going to do that. So um, I just thought, like, there's no way they're actually going to trade him because most likely the return, given the constraints you mentioned, the no trade and the opt-out was going to make it really hard for them to get um, anything close to, like, a legitimate, quote-unquote, like, you know, package. And when I first started hearing the rumors that this was getting steam, I was like, there's no way this is going to happen. The Rockies aren't going to let this happen because there's no way they're going to do it unless they can get back like a really like exciting name, whether that's like a top prospect or a really good young big leaguer. I just couldn't see them doing it. And then it happened. They, you know, they traded him for like a, an underwhelming package of players. And I was, I'll admit I was, I was shocked it happened. And then, you know, what almost made it a little worse was the press conference afterwards where, you know, they were like, well, we still have a strong team and we just think we underperformed. And everybody else is like, no, what? what? No, this this is going to be a last place team for several more years. Like Trevor Story is not going to resign. He's he's going to leave. I mean, I think it's important to remember that this didn't all just happen yesterday or whenever the, the move was announced. Right. Like this has been kind of coming for a while because I think there's it was, maybe discussed, a mid- it was discussed last, last offseason. Well, right, right, right. But I mean this specific move, right? Yeah. I, I think there's there's a myth like, okay, the you know the Rockies haven't spent or haven't tried to spend or haven't tried to win. And I don't think that's actually true. Like they, they have made some big moves, right? Signing Arenado is a pretty big move. Signing Blackman is a pretty big move. Um, they went out and spent over the last couple of years almost $300 million on free agents. The problem isn't that they haven't been out there spending. The problem is that those have all really not worked out, right? Like, um, you know, the, the Daniel Murphy move, which I actually kind of liked, it didn't work out. And they signed Gerardo Parra and they signed all those free agent pitchers like Jake McGee and Brian Shaw and Mike Dunn and uh, just Wade Davis and Wade Davis. Right. It's <laughs> just like none of it has worked out. And then over the last two winners, they have essentially just like sat out the, the free agent market. And they had. I guess if you go back to like 17 and 18, you know, they had like, that's what you plan for. That is what you want. You want a really good young core. Like you've got the superstar hitters in in Story and Arenado and Blackman, and you've got like really good young pitching Marquez and Freeland and uh, Jonathan Gray and Scott Oberg in the bullpen, right? Like that is the, that is what you build for is to get to that. And then you support that. And it just didn't happen. And, you know, they've, They've said for a while, like, oh, they, we think we're better than we've shown. And it just, it hasn't, <laughs> you know? So uh, what what were their options at this point? They could have um, kept Arenado and 
gambled that maybe he would or wouldn't opt out. I, I think it's it's clear he didn't want to be there. But I also think, you know, with the state of the world and the baseball world, it wasn't clear he was going to be able to match what he'd be giving up had he opted out. So I don't think that's a guarantee. Um, we even saw the owner say, like, you know, about 10 times over the last week, I wasn't sure this was the right deal to make. And to Jeff Bradish kind of convinced me, which I have questions about as well. Um, but, yeah, I was I was surprised, A, that he got traded and B, that this was the trade. The one thing I was not surprised by is where he went. This is an extremely Cardinals move to make. <laughs> totally. And I think, you know, there's, there's, there is like, there's like a, a, a thing in the, you know, the baseball world, especially on like baseball Twitter, that people roll their eyes at the idea of the Cardinals, best fans in baseball. But it's a place that players often want to play. You know, there, there was a, there was a, a piece our, our Matt Monaghan did for MLB.com last week where he, he interviewed Edwin Jackson. You know, Edwin Jackson's played for, for like, you know, half the teams in baseball. And that was sort of the, the, the point of the piece. He was like, he just asked, you know, Edmund Jackson, what are the, like, give me your, your favorite cities for this X, Y, and Z. You know, where's your, where's the best pizza? Where's the best, you know, where's the best nightlife? Where's this? And best fans. Edwin Jackson said St. Louis. You know, like, this isn't like, I know we roll our eyes at it, right? <laughs> but like, there's clearly some portion of players who see this as a place that they want to play. It's a baseball town. Um, it is, you know, this is very similar to when they traded for Paul Goldschmidt a couple of years ago. It just has that same kind of feel. And that was the thing is like Arenado, because of the no trade clause could basically dictate where he wanted to go. And I think that's why the Patrick package was so underwhelming because he could, you know, a lot of people I've seen on Twitter basically saying like, any team should have been able to top that. Like, I'm sure a lot of teams would have been willing to top that if they knew that Arenado was willing to waive his no trade clause to go play for their team. Um, and once you narrow it down, it becomes really tricky and the, the possible destinations, especially once you factor in the opt-outs, it really, it changes the, uh, changes the landscape of the, 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 the trade options. And beyond that too, like, obviously he's a great third baseman, but there are, there are a lot of great third basemen right now. Like would, would the Astros go trade for him and move Bregman or Correa somewhere else? Like, no, you know, there's a couple of teams like that. The obvious fit for me was the Dodgers, but it also seems pretty clear that the Rockies were not interested in trading in the National League West. So I, I don't totally buy like how come 20 other teams didn't do this. I think there was maybe fewer suitors than you might think. This also goes back to the opt out he had, which I've never heard of this before. The team gave him without him asking <laughs> like that is the decision that set all this in motion. Um, it, it seems to me if this is the trade you could make, you're better off just keeping him. So you get another year with him in your lineup. And if he walks the way at the end of next year, you've saved yourself a lot of bad PR because then I think the, the fans will focus more on the player more than you. And, you know, no disrespect to the guys they got back. I don't think any of these guys are difference makers. The other thing that I think is really burning Rockies fans here, they kicked in a little over $50 million to the Cardinals to take him. So I'm going to copy this directly from Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. The Cardinals are paying him nothing for one year if he opts out after 2021. They're paying him $35 million for two years if he opts out after 2022, or if he stays, $164 million over seven years. Now, I don't really think he'll opt out at the end of this year. I mean, maybe maybe he desperately does want to go play for the Dodgers. I don't know. Um, but could you imagine if he does, and they basically get him for free for one year, minus the prospects they gave back? <laughs> that would be, even if it's for one year, that would be maybe the biggest heist I could think of in baseball history. Um, the other thing, I don't want to like totally puncture the uh the the oxygen here for cardinals fans i've seen a lot of people saying well they're clearly the favorite now and that's true if you're only looking at winning the winter because nobody in the central has done anything i don't think they're obviously the best team i think they're an improved team but i don't think that they were one arenado away from success just based on the the issues they've had over the last couple of years it's it's i mean it's still it's a the division is like it's it's, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's why I'd still consider them the favorite, but like, I don't think it's, it's that clear cut. They still have some outfield issues. There's, there's still some pitching questions. So like, it's not like the the Cardinals are still probably like a, what, an 80, 80 85 win team is constructed. Yeah, I'd say low, I'd say low eighties. And, um, I would say roughly tied with the Brewers because I really, really like the top end of that Brewers pitching staff. And it was just reported before we came on here that the Brewers have signed a familiar face to St. Louis fans, Colton Wong. Um, maybe not the infield bat they needed, but maybe, you know, Keston Hero plays first base. I think the Central is going to be interesting. Maybe not for the right reasons because it has not been a good winter there. But I think people forget how much talent the Cubs still have in the lineup. 
and how much talent the Reds still have at the top end of their roster, I'll probably pick the Cardinals as things stand, but without a great deal um, of confidence there. So the uh, I still can't believe Nolan, Ar- Nolan Arenado is a Cardinal, by the way. It's just completely blowing my mind here. I mean, I think, I, think it, I think it's uh, – before we move on, I'll say like – I think, you know, it, it's when Will Leach wrote this the other day where it's like, it's actually kind of been a fascinating offseason. We've seen some yeah. really big name players um, get traded and, you know, it's, it's, it, we, I mean, stars get traded and like, you know, with it's, I guess we should stop being shocked about it. You know, I've, I said this when I think when we talked about the Mookie Betts trade last year, you know, if, if Ken Griffey Jr. can get traded by the Mariners at his peak, we should not be, we should not be surprised that Mookie Betts can get traded at his peak and same with Francisco Lindor and now same with Nolan Arenado. You know, I agree with that. I, we, we hear a lot of complaints about these guys being traded and I'm like, guys, look at the NBA. These stars get traded like all the time and people seem to like it. And I, I honestly think the Arenado trade is in a different, uh, different kind of category as Betts and Lindor because those players were entering their free agency year. Arenado might be with the opt out, but I think what we just saw is a very, a very Rockies outcome, not necessarily a very, Major League Baseball outcome. All right, on to our three-batter minimum. Uh, the Minnesota Twins just brought back Nelson Cruz. He will be 41 years old this upcoming summer. He has been, over the last two seasons, the third-best hitter in baseball among qualified hitters behind only Mike Trout and Jordan Alvarez, who didn't even play in 2020. So you've got a guy who's turning 41 who's been one of the two best hitters in baseball, which is absolutely wild. Clearly, he is a DH only. He will not play the field. That limits his value a little bit. That's why... In addition to his age, he only got a one-year deal. Van Graffs now has the Twins as a slight favorite in the AL Central. I feel like this is another case where people are just like wildly overestimating what did you do for me lately? Because a lot of people like to think that the White Sox are far and away the best team. They've had far and away the best winter. That's true. But I would have to think pretty hard about which one of those teams I would pick because I still really like the Twins. And um, as you kind of wrote in our little notes doc here, You've seen some frustration from White Sox Twitter about how the White Sox need to make one more move. What is that move? Uh, that was going to be your question to me, and I'm going to kick it back to you. I'm not really sure what that move is, but like, and I think it's, I, I, I'll admit that I think even going back to last year, maybe I'm sort of like, you know, just, uh, you know, re, like I, I predicted the White Sox emerging last year, and I was pretty proud of that, how that, that manifested itself. And I'm like, I remain high on the White Sox because we, I, we it, all predicted that. Come on. I was I was the I was the high man at least on this podcast on the White Sox. Um, <laughs> let, let me have my let me have my glory, um, and I remain pretty high on them. And I'm I think I'm I am sort of surprised. This is like this is like what this is when I like projections, right? Because it's like it's making me question my my gut is just like oh the White Sox are a better team, and then I'm like okay well what am I what am I missing here, right? And it's like. You know, they, the White Sox have a, seems like a really well-rounded lineup. I think, you know, they went and got Liam Hendricks. We, we talked about how they have like an interesting bullpen. So there's, to me, there's like not actually an obvious, the thing with the White Sox right now is like, it's not that they're infallible. It's just that like, there's not an obvious hole on the roster. And I think that that's, that's, I think what might be tripping some people up. I guess, you know, I would say, I would say the, 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 the weakness might be, Adam Eaton and right, or more specifically, I guess, you know, Eloy Jimenez as, you know, left field or DH, if maybe they get a better, you know, maybe you want to go out inside Jackie Bradley Jr. and move um, Luis Robert to a corner and, you know, shore up your defense and really didn't allow Jimenez just be a DH, which is what he should be. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think you can make an argument for a fourth starter. You know, your top three of Giolito, Lean, and Keiko is pretty good. There's a lot of uncertainty behind that in terms of what do you get from Michael Kopech or Dylan Cease, or I think I just saw they signed Carlos Rodon again. So, you know, that's not going to move the needle, but I think that's a place I would focus on. The Eaton DH conversation is really fascinating because that probably was the move of any pre-Arenado trade move this year I was the lowest on. And it came out recently, there's a lot more to that. So apparently last fall or last winter or whatever, the White Sox went out and offered Jock Peterson a contract for one year and something like $10 million, which would have been an amazing fit. I'm a very big Jock Peterson fan. He turned it down thinking he could get more and he chose poorly. He ended up signing with the Cubs for one year and less money and they moved on to Adam Eaton. Can you imagine if they had Jock Peterson playing right field instead of Adam Eaton? I would feel so much better about that lineup. I mean, it's already a good lineup, but I, I think that would have been a big deal. Um, I was surprised they didn't seem to be interested in Cruz at all. I thought that would have been a pretty good fit. Yes, you have to play Jimenez in the field every day, but I don't think at this age they're going to make him a full-time DH. The Bradley idea seems interesting, 
But I also think they're done. I don't actually think they're going to do any of this stuff. I mean, do you, do you still see one more big move for them? I think it, to me, when I, like, I think you're right. They could they could go for you know. There's you know. There's probably some some uh, you know fourth fourth or fifth starter type out there that I'm not thinking of that would be would be a fit. So I think I could see. I'd probably see that before I would see um, them going and signing uh, Bradley. I can tell you that I'm going to watch a lot of White Sox games this year, and not just because of uh, what they have on on the field, but because Jason Benetti and Len Casper are going to make those pretty enjoyable broadcasts. All right, item two in our three batter minimum. It does seem very, very likely that when the season begins, we will have the pre-2020 playoff structure. We will not have the expanded playoffs that we had a version of in 2020 and may have had in 2021. Obviously, this is all subject to change based on negotiations between the league and the players union. But as we stand right now, no DH and a quote-unquote traditional playoff structure. If we had an expanded playoffs, I don't think it would look like it did last year when we had a 16-team playoff. I think it probably would have been a 14-team situation, seven per league, where presumably the top team would get a bye, which is actually a really valuable thing. And I'm just going to assume that the other two division winners would be seeds two and three, and then the remainders would be wild cards. And it's it's fun if you look at it. So what I did here is I just looked at the projected war totals from Fangraphs as like a quick and easy way to split things. And in a traditional that uh, postseason structure like we might have. Um, so you'd have like in the American League, you know, Twins, Yankees, Astros winning the division and uh, a White Sox, Blue Jays wild card. That's pretty fun. And in the National League, Mets and Dodgers winning the division, Cardinals and Brewers in a tiebreaker for the division, Braves and Padres wild card. That's pretty fun. Let's talk about that for a second. This puts a whole lot more emphasis on winning the division, which I think is cool and valuable. And all of a sudden, Dodgers, Padres, Mets, Braves, Cardinals, Brewers, Twins, White Sox, Yankees and Blue Jays to some extent, maybe Astros and Angels. There's some really fun races in there. Like, I think that's cool and I'm excited to watch some of those. And I think that that will, you know, you know, it's it could, you know, accelerate the last couple of weeks of sort of the hot stove knowing, you know, right now, if you you were kind of thinking about, you know, one of the big remaining names, whether you're the Braves and you're thinking about maybe going back to Ozuna or you're the Mets and you're thinking about Trevor Bauer, it's like, well, that could be a big difference is whether or not you're winning that division or in the wild card game. So I think probably for, for, for certain free agents, this might be welcome news because it could sort of kick things in, in, into gear. Um, yeah. The question is sort of for those mid tier teams, how this changes the equation for them. Well, that's right. So I looked at this also, like my, my presumed seven and seven, like seven in each league here. And obviously you still have the same teams at the top, right? Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, twins, whatever. But in the, the structure with an expanded playoffs at the bottom of the national league, uh, the Nationals and the Phillies would get in, and in the American League, you know, the Angels and Red Sox would. Um, you know, this Cardinals Brewers tie breaker game would probably be pretty fun. But like, if you're the Nationals, you're maybe either not so excited about this, or all of a sudden you realize you you need to make more moves. You know, if you're the Red Sox, you're clearly the third best team in that division, maybe the fourth, depending on how you feel about the Rays. You know, you are you are probably looking at this a little bit more uh, negatively. I like, I like any structure that incentivizes winning a division. Like I think, I think the Dodgers and Padres desperately trying not to be in the wildcard game will be cool, but you know, it's interesting that there will be some extra repercussions about all this. Our third item in the three batter minimum farewell to Dustin Pedroia officially announced his retirement the other day. Hadn't actually played since 2017 due to knee injuries one of just 308 players in history with more than 50 career war, uh, more career war than Kirby Puckett, who's a Hall of Famer, who you know I guess is on the low end of Hall of Famers. I hadn't actually thought about it until right this second. Pretty decent chance I will have a Hall of Fame ballot when Pedroia comes up, and I'm not really sure what I think about him yet. I guess it's good I've got five years to contemplate it. Yeah, he's he's um I think he's probably for most people on the 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 outline um because he you know his career was basically done at age 32 um andrew simon tweeted about this our colleague basically like he and craig biggio had essentially identical careers through age 32 a second baseman almost the exact same number of plate appearances ops doubles home runs rbis like basically identical and then of course pedroia's career basically ended at that point whereas biggio went on to accumulate another like you know more than another thousand hits and you end up getting 3000 hits and getting the hall of fame. Um, and obviously that's hard to do. I'm like, but durability is a skill and Biggio deserves credit. But the point is that like he, you know, Craig, Dustin Pedroia had pretty clearly, I think like two thirds of a hall of fame career. 
now, depending on what your view of the Hall of Fame is, of just like, is it about fame and being associated? If you want to factor in being associated with winning teams, a big personality that really helps Pedroia's case, um, he's kind of been out. Of, you know, he's basically been out of baseball for you know three full seasons now. So people kind of forgot about him. Like when he retired, it was almost like, well, that was kind of knew he wasn't playing anymore. Um, but uh, he was, you know, the key. He's kind of a key figure, and I don't want to say key figure in baseball history, but like he was a key player on a couple of World, Red Sox um, World Series winning teams. He even got a few at-bats in 2018, um, even though he was not on the World Series roster. But like he's kind of a significant player in, in baseball history, no? Yeah, I would think so. It's, it's funny. Um, when he came up, this was like the end of my time living in Boston. You know, he came up at the end of the 20, 2006 season. And at the end of 2006 is when I moved Boston and came to New York. But I was still paying pretty close attention to the Red Sox in, in 07 because, you know, that's where all my friends were. And I remember uh, he was really unpopular at first because his cup of coffee at the end of 06 was not very good. And then he was the starting second baseman in 2007, replacing Mark Loretta, who had been pretty popular. And he got off to an absolutely brutal start uh, in his first 163 plate appearances across the end of 06 and the start of 07, 188, 278, 278. And do you remember who the fans of the Red Sox wanted him to be replaced with at the time? Um, like is a Mark notable Lee. name in recent Boston Red Sox history. I can tell you that. Oh, um, here's oh. here's a hint. You, here's a hint you can't get past. He is currently the manager of the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Cora. <laughs> Alex Cora. There you go. So everything comes around uh, in a circle. But yeah, he, he was a you know a really fun player to watch play. I guess that's not true if you are a Yankee fan. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he, he had he had a lot of good quotes, you know, like his whole laser show thing. You know, apparently when they, they called him to tell, he, tell him he'd been drafted at like the 65th pick, he said to Sam Kennedy, the Red Sox owner, what took you so long, bro? Um, so he had a certain you know personality, whether you, you liked him or not, that he was he was um, kind of divisive. Um, one thing I like one thing that was always interesting to me about Pedroia is that also like he was um, an early kind of darling of the, 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 the sort of the sabermetric you know, movement in terms of like, there was, you know, in the early 2000s, when analytics were starting to take hold in sort of the blogosphere, the internet, and also in front offices, he was a guy who had great stats in the minors, but like, yeah, he was a second, he was like a second round pick. So it wasn't like scouts, he was like, you know, dismissed by scouts, but there was a lot of skepticism of like, you know, this like five foot eight guy who swung out of his heels, like, is this guy actually going to be a major leaguer? And I remember baseball perspectives, Pocota's um, projection system, created by Nate Silver, and this is before Nate Silver was, you know, like an analytics celebrity, loved Pedroia. Um, you know, I actually dusted off an old version of Baseball Prospectus that I have. And coming out of the 2005 season when he'd been in double A AA and triple A, Pakoda projected him to hit, in the, projected to hit for him to hit 293, 385, 452. Sorry, they projected to 299, 365, 458 the minors that year. Of course, he had st- walked more than he struck out, and his stop, his top statistical co- comp was Gary Sheffield, which is like kind of funny at the time because Sheffield was at the time was basically in the midst of what was considered a Hall of Fame career, and I was like, who are they to say that this guy has a Gary Sheffield kind of upside? Well, sure enough, he had a cup of coffee in 2016, as Mike noted, was not very good, oh, and then as as a rookie in two thousand two thousand six, and then two thousand seven, he won Rookie of the Year, hitting three seventeen. 380, 442, and help the Red Sox win the World Series. So obviously projections are often wrong about prospects, but I remember this was a time when I was first starting to follow this world, and it was like, oh, this, you know, this is a player where maybe the numbers are showing us something that the eye is not showing us. Yeah, I can't remember a time where I ever actually paid attention to high school statistics because, you know, Lord knows the quality of that competition is all over the place. He went through his entire senior year of high school without striking out once, which is unbelievably mind-blowing and i kind of want to go back and see if we can talk to any of those guys that he had to face we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back with our guest shakia taylor freelance writer who's going to talk about her saber analytics award nominated piece on fm manly it's a lot of fun please stick around talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, 
it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Each year, Sabre, that's the Society for American Baseball Research, nominates 15 pieces of outstanding writing across three categories as finalists for the Sabre Analytics Conference Awards. You can go vote for the winners at Fangraphs, Sabre.org, Baseball Prospectus, a few other sites. One of those categories is historical baseball analysis or commentary. So far, I've managed to read four of the five nominated pieces, each very good. And the one that struck me the most was an article from last April at SBNation.com titled Effa Manley's Hidden Life, which was a look at the life and career of Effa Manley, the co-owner of the Negro League Newark Bears in the 1930s and 40s. And I thought I knew a little bit about her life. Um, and then after reading this piece, I realized that there was so much more to this woman and her story than I actually knew about. And so we are fortunate enough to be joined by Shakia Taylor, who is actually up for an award for the second year in a row, having been nominated last year for a story about Tim Anderson. Shakia, first of all, thank you uh, for joining us. You know, Effa Manley is the only woman inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And as you detailed, you know, there's a lot more to her story than just the ownership of the Bears. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what drew you to, to you know, dig into her life in the first place? Well, um, Effa Manley is kind of a very mysterious figure in baseball. She's really just known as the only woman in Cooperstown. You know, she's known as the first woman owner of a team, and that actually isn't true. And so I just kind of, a lot of people started messaging me on Twitter, suggesting that I write about her. I'd love to read something on the Manleys from you. Um, and one day I decided to just go after it. No, <laughs> I mean, what struck me most about the piece, and like I didn't know this until I read your piece, if I'm being perfectly honest, is that, you know, I, th I think like a lot of people, I assumed, okay, Effa Manley, she was a Negro Leagues pioneer. She must be black. And it's <laughs> actually a lot more complicated than that. Can you kind of explain, explain that? Because I don't think I'll do it justice. <laughs> yes, it's so complicated. Um, I just get like... I don't know, confused even trying to explain it. Um, so Effa Manley was uh, believed to be a Black woman for many, many years. She was even um, in like Essence or Ebony magazine on, you know, a list of Black women and how they keep themselves looking young. And she never, she never argued that she wasn't Black. And then later in her life, she was contacted by a historian at the University of Kentucky for an oral history interview just about her life because, um, you know, of how important she is to baseball at large. And in the interview, completely unprompted, she says, I am really white. And that interview is available online to just about anyone who wants to search for it. And hearing that, and it's in her voice, it's not someone else writing it or someone else saying it. This is coming from her mouth. And so to hear that, it was stunning. Um, and the story goes that, you know, it's possible that maybe she was biracial, you know, via her mother, her mother um, married, mostly black men, but she had a white lover who was Effa's father. And Effa's family in modern times said, no, she's black. We don't know anything about a white father. However, Effa clearly 
late in her life, she identified as a white woman. She even, it's on her death certificate. Um, and uh, Dr. Davis, Amira Rose Davis, she actually has seen it and told me that you can actually see there's a B under the W there, which is kind of spooky in a way, considering, you know, the controversy behind her story. And in writing this piece, I was deeply conflicted, not because I, I don't want to say I care a ton about whether or not she's Black or white, but it means a lot to historical context, you know? Who was she? What is her background? And the more I dug, the more confusing it was. <laughs> yeah, I really liked how you kind of weaved the tale of how she you know, used whichever race would benefit her the most. I mean, obviously, you know, we still have plenty of racial tensions now, but especially so in the 1940s. And as you wrote, you know, she would go downtown as a white woman and return home as a black woman. And it it seems like it's a big deal in one sense, because you wrote a part of the story I didn't know about, which is that she kind of had some beef with Jackie Robinson, of all people. And so he criticized the Negro Leaks for being disorganized. And she fired back and she called Robinson ungrateful and more likely stupid, which is like, those are some pretty big words. Um, yeah. At the time, th- that was viewed, you know, as as a black woman saying that. And I can't imagine what it would have looked like if she was perceived as being a white woman saying that. That was, that really, really, really got under my skin because, <laughs> because it's like, you know, it's kind of like with your cousins, right? You can talk about your family, but I can't talk about your cousin. Like, <laughs> right. that's just how it goes. And that's, <laughs> how I was looking at it. Like, wait a minute, lady. Like, Ephra Manley, the Black person, could absolutely make this argument. But Ephra Manley, the white person, I'd be like, pump your brakes. Um, it, it was a tough thing to write because I wanted it to be honest. And, and, I, and I ended up having to kind of personalize and show the conflict that I experienced in even just reading it. I can't even tell you how long it took me to write it because I'm constantly going back and forth with, you know, my editor on this, like, okay, wait, (laughs) this woman's story is kind of twisted. And, you know, and he's like, just, just, just start talking about how you feel about it. And some of the things that she said to Jackie were pretty harsh. Like, it wasn't like she was just like, you know, you're a son of the league. Don't, don't, don't diss us this way, you know? Um, because she also knew that that was the end, you know, like the end was soon approaching. Um, and, you know, Effa was the first person in the Negro Leagues to demand money for one of her players. Um, so it was a big, big deal that she was kind of upset with Jackie Robinson. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, it's Jackie Robinson. Are you kidding me? Now, at this point, it's been almost a year since the piece was published. You've had some time to reflect on it. You know, what is your your kind of overall opinion of of Effa Manley now? And how did it change over the course of researching her life? You know how nowadays you never want to learn about a celebrity. You kind of just want them to be a celebrity. You want them to be where they are. Because once we start to, like, humanize them and learn, they're actually just like us. They do terrible things. They may not be so great. It really was like, you know, there was some some cracks in that stone that I had, I guess, built for her in my mind. Like, there was definitely an Effa Manley statue in my mind as a Black woman baseball fan and now a Black woman who writes about baseball. And so a year later, I definitely am more comfortable with Effa Manley being a human being. Um... She was human. And I can't say if she had any malicious intent because she did a ton of amazing things. Like she was an activist and, you know, she helped integrate retail shopping because it was only white women who were allowed to work in those shops. And she held like an anti-lynching campaign at her ballpark. Like this woman did great things. So She also, you know, there were some stories in my research that I couldn't actually prove, but there were some whispers that she even had affairs with players. And it just really boils down to she was a human being who, yes, she did great things, but she also maybe made some mistakes. 
Um, and maybe there's a lesson there for all of us, like in all of our greatness or whatever, we're still just regular people. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of her tombstone right now. And it's got, you know, her full name and year of birth and year of death. And it also just says she loved baseball, uh, which is a pretty cool thing to have on your tombstone. I, I did want to uh, switch gears for a second. You mm-hmm. you tweeted the other day something pretty interesting. And um, you asked if there were any baseball writers out there willing to mentor up and coming writers from underrepresented communities. And from what I can tell, I mean, first of all, it's a very cool initiative. Um, you've gotten a pretty decent response, like hundreds of tweets, and I assume people reaching out to you privately through text or email or whatever. Uh, and I, I'm wondering what prompted you to to start with that. And since there has been such a response, like what's what's next? How can people help with that? Well, the response was incredible. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't feel like I am a person who has a large following. And sometimes I'm like, okay, this will probably just be a blip. You know, I'm going to say something, five or six people will be in, boom, we're good. Instead, the complete opposite happened. <laughs> I, I said something and people are DMing me, tweeting me, emailing me, tweeting my editors. Like, just people are trying to get in touch with me. And first, I want to say to all of those people, thank you so much. You have made me so happy, but you have also given me a gigantic project. Um, <laughs> but Careful I what you not- wish for. I am not unwilling to take it on. Um, One of my goals has been to just kind of acknowledge that we need different backgrounds. We need different experiences. We need just people of all walks of life to be involved in baseball. If you love the sport, you want it to be available to everyone. And I know it's a kick in the teeth to a lot of traditionalists to have to listen to me, to have to deal with me, but that's kind of what I'm here for. Let's shake it up. And I am currently working with two other people. um, And since I didn't ask them if I could name them, I won't. Um, (laughs) um, Two other people uh, on putting together a sign-up form for any youth in an underrepresented group who wants to be mentored. Um, When I tweeted it, I just had people DM the people they wanted to. DM a writer who responded to this and go from there. And a lot of that happened. Um, Then there was a case where I actually contacted a writer and said, hey, will you talk to this person I know? So it's coming together. The idea is really just, let's, let's change the game. Let's get some fresh, voices in. Um, It's good for the sport. It's good for the industry Um, to not have such a homogenous, you know, like tone to everything. And to be quite honest, I do believe a lot of the missteps that we've seen in sports writing with regard to baseball just in the last month could be could be eliminated if we allowed people to speak for themselves. You know, um, I don't want to speak on the behalf of someone who is say Asian, because that's not my experience. And I I think there's a lot to be said for identity, the importance of identity. And I know it's a very divisive subject right now, but if we embrace it in a different way of, you know, let's highlight these people whose experiences are different than mine, whose culture is different than mine, then we learn. And maybe 10 years down the line, I'm no longer looked at as sort of a unicorn because I hear that a lot. And, you know, I'm pretty much like the second Black woman baseball writer behind Claire Smith. Claire Smith could be my mom. Like, that's a significant gap. In fact, I saw her say, 39 years. I am 38 years old. So think about that. And I just started writing four years ago. I want there to be a person after me who doesn't have to go through what I go through. 
that's no, the that, goal. Absolutely. And um, if you're keeping a big list of people, you know, willing to help, please put my name on it. And I'm going to speak for Matt, even though he didn't ask me to and put his name on it too. Because <laughs> um, listen, it, it, beyond obviously talent, you need to have talent to do the job, but it's it's so much about, you know, connections. Like, who do you know? I can give you a, a quick example and I'm, I'm taking zero credit for this. I want to make that clear. But two <laughs> years ago or three years ago at the Sabre Analytics Conference, there was a young black man who came up to me and he introduced himself and, you know, had a lot of the uh, similar qualifications as like a million that other people do. But um, spoke Spanish, which I thought was cool, and uh, asked if he could keep in touch. And I said, yeah. And he's emailed every couple months, and I know his name now, and I sent his resume to a couple people I know in front offices. And I just found out the other day he got a job in a front office, not through my connection. Again, this is all his hard work. Um, but yeah, you're right. If you're talented and, you, and you're skilled, a lot of the problem has been making those connections. And if you can put those people together with people who maybe have sway, I think that's a really good way to uh, you know, help solve the problem that I think we uh, we all agree has been an issue. So, you know, is it right now just kind of waiting to see how the project goes for you, or is there something more active people can do? Um, well, right now, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I would recommend just sending me an email. Um, I've actually been pretty good about responding, amazingly enough. Um, and the goal is I want to have something in place. Um, within the month. I want it to be a very active thing. Um, I am a person who is big on results. I won't tell you I'm going to do something if I can't do it. Um, so again, while this got bigger than I expected, I'm going to tackle it. There will be a sign-up sheet. Um, I may even tweet it out this week as I'm meeting with the other two people today. Um, and we already have something together. It's just a matter of making some tweaks and making it appropriate. Um, and then we also have already compiled the list of writers who have said yes. And um, some people have emailed me and said they want to, you know, they don't want their names. So they wanted to talk to me privately. So there are a lot of things in the works just to kind of allow younger people an ability to network. Just like you said, sometimes it's all in who you know. And a lot of folks don't know the right people or don't know the people who know the right people. And if we can just remove that, we're already doing something good. I believe that while I'm not religious, I believe the point of religion is to be a good person. And so if we decide to leave this place better than we found it, we're good to go. Another thing you tweeted recently that I wanted to to ask you about, um, and I thought it was pretty timely um, in light of, um, and this might have been response to this, in fact, you know, the other day it was announced that uh, Ken Griffey Jr. has been hired by the commissioner as a, a special advisor with a special emphasis special emphasis on baseball operations and uh, youth baseball development. And you tweeted something. You said, "No, I will, I will actually read it, I will read it verbatim. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Did I say nobody in baseball had the kind of commercial success that Ken Griffey Jr. did? The Griffey in 96 Nike campaign changed the game. He had games. He had shoes. He was on TV shows. He rapped. You want to bring in a new generation of fans? That's what we need. Give us someone cool. And Tatis, as in Fernando Tatis Jr., is that. Um, that really stuck with me because like, I, I agree with you that like, there's been no one with Griffey's commercial appeal in a long time. And I'm curious why you think Tatis is the successor. Oh, that's an amazing question. Um, <laughs> so first of all, I love Ken Griffey Jr. There is no person who watched baseball in the nineties who doesn't, if they tell you they don't, they are lying. I believe that hands down, but my, like the basis for that comment is Ken Griffey Jr., and I don't mean this literally, <laughs> he fathered a generation of fans and players. I have actually spoken to a current player who is reasonably young, and Griffey is one of his idols. And I'm positive if you spoke to any African American player, not just in MLB, but period. Griffey is either first or he's in those first couple of names of who they idolize. Um, and I think Tatis is next up because, well, well, you have the whole big cake comment, which is hilarious to me. You know, you want to win the big cake. Um, he's got hops. He, you know, he's got the blonde locks. Um, he wears number 23. Come on, let's, let's go Jordan. Let's go James. You know, like it's, it's just, it's there. The possibilities are there. He's cool. 
um, he bucks back, you know, at the whole, you know, traditional unwritten rules thing. And a guy who swings on the 3-0 pitch is somebody you want to get behind. (laughs) Just has no concern for how anyone else feels. And I deeply respect it. I, I mean, I think he's it. I think if if, you know, allowed to continue to just be himself and go out and ball out. And, you know, maybe if his endorsements, uh, they decide to do like amazing campaigns, he's he's the one. Is there someone else? Absolutely. I think Tim Anderson could also be that person. It's just a matter of how the powers that be decide to utilize them. If you want to grow and you want to reach out to you know, African-American, Hispanic and Latino communities. And that is the way right there. Like, that is it because everybody likes cool stuff, right? Like people don't wear Jordans just because they like Michael Jordan because you have an entire generation of kids who've never actually seen Michael Jordan play, but they line up for those shoes. Like, that's what you want. You want that swagger and they both have it. Yeah, Tatis was just announced as the... uh the cover player for the new MLB The Show video game, which I'm not sure that people older than us understand how big of a deal that is. I think I'm only like a couple months older than you are. And you know, I remember like every year when I was in high school and college and all the video games would come out, like who's on the cover was such a big deal. Um, and I can say without a reservation, Ken Griffey Jr. is the coolest baseball player I think I've ever seen. And there was <laughs> another tweet and I'm like 98% sure this was from you. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was about a hat. Right? That was the, me. That was you. Oh my god, I loved that hat. So there's a hat floating around out there. I'm not really sure of the the genesis of the hat, but basically it's a hat with the MLB logo as you know it, right? You know, you've got the silhouette of the guy swinging the bat except the hat on the player there is clearly backwards and it's in the Mariners like, you know, blue and teal and white. And um that is maybe the coolest hat I've ever seen because it is pretty obvious who it is and while i know this is not going to happen i would fully support if the official logo of major league baseball <laughs> changed into that and i was like what did you tweet like at new era or something and say please give us this hat again yes so i did some digging on that cap and someone who follows me on twitter who lives in canada found it for me on ebay but the hat was too small oh. because like tatis i also have blonde locks and i have to size up my hat and um, so this hat was apparently released in 2016, um, I believe. And if you look, there's like a whole line of caps related to Griffey. And some of them are from his number retirement with the Mariners. Um, some like there's caps that say junior and they have a patch on them and people are going to listen to this and go buy them up. So I should go do that next. Um, and that cap was on Pinterest. And I was like, I need this hat. I absolutely must have this hat. And so I've made it a point to bug the new era Twitter person who I know has no control over these things whatsoever, but please new era cat person. If you're listening, just, just send the three of us the hat. (laughs) Have you you tried the hat club people? They do a lot of custom work. So they had it on their site when it was available for sale, I saw, and they do not have it now. Um, When I first tweeted the picture, a ton of people added them like, hey, hat club, hey, hat club. So I'm pretty much like anybody make this hat, give it to me. I will wear it. I will live in it. I will. You will never see me in a different cap. I promise. (laughs) Like it is. It's just great. And I agree that. Griffey would be an amazing logo, even if it's just an alternate, you know, like, even if, you know, it's just, I don't know, uh, uh, it's it's an option. When you go buy your jersey, do you want this logo or do you want this logo? I mean, we're all going to go with Griffey. Anybody is going to go with Griffey. But anyway, new era, hit me up. Let's, let's get this hat back out there. <laughs> All right, before before we let you go, Shakia, the last question I'll ask is about is about Griffey's new role. Um, I think you know it, was, it seemed like it was met pretty positively, and just it's 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 cool to see him have a voice in the league. You know, maybe not him specifically, but given the description of his role, what what do you hope like he can do, or things that like you know, what would you like to see him like you, him use his his platform for? First, I think he's the right person for the job. 
um, I think he's the right person for the job. If you ask anyone, they probably agree with me. Um, and I hope that he becomes a face, right? Like, I feel like when he retired, he kind of floated away from baseball a little bit. Um, and it's been my hope, and I talked about this with CC Sabathia as well, it's been my hope that they come back to the game. We need them um, in a big way. And not just because, you know, African-American kids look up to them. Everybody does, right? Like that crossover appeal is there and we need young people. Um, I mean, obviously I love that, you know, my pop pop is a baseball fan, but I would also like my friend's kids who are like five years old to want to get into it eventually too. And I think Griffey is the right person. I think if we can see him more, um, it would be, it would just do wonders for everything. Just wonders. And it, it's, and he's such a pleasant person, right? Like he's just a very nice guy. He's always smiling. He cracks jokes. You know, he was pranking his teammates. I, I mean, I, I just think he's, he's the right person for the job. It was a very, when I saw it as a massive fan of his, I kind of lost my mind to be quite honest. I'm like, yes, Griffey is back. I mean, you couldn't tell me he wasn't going to go play on the field again because it it just wouldn't have mattered to me. I was that pumped up about it. Yeah, we were all joking that, you know, if there's ever such a time where we actually do get to go back to the office, will we just see Junior walking the halls? Because that would be pretty much the coolest thing. <laughs> uh, one more, one more tweet you made that I have to ask really quickly. Yesterday, you said, tomorrow I'm going to be on a podcast about baseball and a, a tribe called Quest. And uh, I'm sorry we didn't have time to get into the musical stylings of Q-Tip and Fife Dog, but if you want to stick around later, I'm sure Matt will talk your ear off about that. I assume that wasn't about us. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike said that to me. He was like, did you phrase this to her? Because he knows I'm a big tribe fan. I was like, no, but I'm glad I put you on the spot. Where were you talking about baseball and tribe? Because I want to start listening to that podcast. <laughs> oh, goodness. So I got invited on a Tigers podcast. Um and um, a guy named Rogelio Castillo invited me on his pod and he was like, hey, so we're going to talk about music for a part of it. Do you want to come on for the whole thing? Now, I got to be honest, whenever baseball fans or baseball nerds or whatever want to talk to me about music, I'm a little concerned. I'm always like, okay, wait, what kind of music? Because <laughs> while... Well, I'm not judgmental. Well, I am. I'm not going to lie. While I try not to be openly judgmental about what other people listen to, there's just some things I don't want to opine on. You know what I mean? Like, if I don't like it, I'm not going to talk about it because I want you to enjoy what you enjoy. And he's like, oh, well, we're just going to be talking about A Tribe Called Quest, uh, Low End Theory album, because it's hitting like its 30th anniversary this year. And I was like, whoa, buddy, I will be on time for that. I have. I have a tribe tattoo on my left wrist. Um, my friend Eric has a matching one. We got them on the same day. Um, I went to see Tribe in their last performance ever, uh, minus Fife, but it was at Red Rocks um, in 2017. Co best concert of my life, minus Michael Jackson. So huge Tribe fan. Um, I believe MLB should try to incorporate Tribe into every game, every broadcast. Um, and there is no greater sports reference rapper than Fife Dog. Yeah, when a, when a baseball writer asks you to talk about music, you probably know what you're getting yourself into. I can say I think I'm the only member of the BBWAA who does not like Bruce Springsteen um, and does not have him in there top 100 artists uh shakia taylor thank you so much for spending time with us you can follow shakia on twitter at curly fro you can also go and vote for the saber analytics awards fan graphs saber.org baseball perspectives please check out her article about fm manly we will link it in the uh, description of our podcast this week shakia thanks so much thank you thanks so much to our guest shakia taylor matt and i will be right back to finish off our show This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. 
Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward Doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Our thanks to Shakia Taller for spending some time with us there. Matt and I are going to finish off with our purpose pitch, which is where we give each other free reign to rant and rave about something. Mine is going to be a positive one this week. Uh, as we mentioned earlier when talking to Shakia, Fernando Tatis Jr. was unveiled as the cover image uh, athlete of the new MLB The Show video game. Now, that's cool in itself, but what makes it extra cool this year is it's no longer exclusive to PlayStation. You can get it on Xbox. Now, I know for most people... That's essentially meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. It's actually a really big deal. You know, I don't know if the Xbox PlayStation video game market is split 50-50. It's probably not. But still, there's a ton of people who have Xboxes. Part of the reason I switched to PlayStation was because I couldn't get this video game. And video games are a really important entry point into sports fandom for a lot of people. Like if I can speak for myself and look at hockey, right? A big part of why I became a hockey fan is because I played the heck out of NHL 94 back in the day. And over the last couple of years, I kind of fell out of hockey and I wanted to get back into it. And I thought, well, what's the best way for me to learn the players and the teams again? I got a copy of NHL 20 last year and I played the heck out of it. And now I'm watching hockey again. If we want to get new and younger fans, this is like a small change to most people that I think is actually kind of a big deal. Let them play the cool video game they want. It is great. I'm ex- I'm disappointed because I have a Nintendo Switch. I was hoping they would also do a Switch version, but al- alas, um, I'll play RBI Baseball, which is still fun too. Um, but yeah, um, Fernando Tatis, um, I'm sort of on the same page. Uh, I think it's a great from a marketing standpoint to get him to to get him on the cover of the game, to get it into different given different video game systems, um, and I think Shakira is. is is right that he sort of has that that it factor that I'm hoping can kind of be transcendent um, for, that we haven't seen for a player since since Griffey to a certain extent. Um, my uh, purpose pitch is going to be about expanded playoffs, and I was going to talk about it. I was going to mention this a little earlier, but I decided to save it for my rant, which is basically that like there seems to be, and I I may have actually used this as my purpose pitch before, but I'm going to say it again because it's in the, the the conversation again. There's a lot of times there's this reflexive expanded playoffs are bad. And from, from from sort of like, you know, long lifetime uh, baseball fans, like long, you know, hardcore baseball fans. And I'm not necessarily saying they're wrong, but I do think that there's like a discussion to be had. And I don't necessarily think it is, is necessarily a like clear cut bad for the game. The reason I say this is because a big part of the discussion is like, well, it, it, it dilutes the, the regular season and like winning a division is meaningless. Potentially, but there's also a world in which, like, if wing division, if like wing, if you're, there's only one team or two teams that get a buy, and everyone else has to play like a mini three game series just to advance, well, then actually you may be creating a situation where the um, the top one or two teams is even more valuable than ever to win a division, or maybe more valuable than it's ever been since you know the the just the straight up divisional system that we had until 1995. I will say, you know, having grown up in, in the world with you know just two divisions. I remember being a kid when, you know, the Mets were eliminated, you know, in the early 90s when the Mets were out of it by like mid-June. And it was no fun because like your team was out of it early and half the teams, sometimes more, were out of it by the by the end of the by the by the trade deadline. And it was pretty easy for fans to check out. So like there are reasons to believe that like expanding playoffs might keep more fans engaged and might grow the game. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I think it's worth a conversation. It's it's a conversation worth having and i don't want to sort of like dismiss things out of hand until i've actually seen what what the actual proposal is and was actually being discussed and we never really got a great feel for what that is in this case that, that is a good point i will say i mostly disagree with you i want the regular season to matter more i want division winners to matter more i want teams to feel more urgency to go out and improve to to win the division and i think expanded playoffs hurts all that however you're right like I don't think the format we saw in 2020 is the format anybody would actually propose going forward, right? We would not have the same 16 teams where there's no benefit to being the one seed and you could lose in a three-game series. So we we can't really judge it without knowing what it would look like. It, it does sound like it would not have been as many teams and possibly there would be some consideration for winning the division and getting a one seed. So 
without knowing all the details, I agree with you. Uh, but in general, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. And yet at the same time, I remember very well watching that whole week of, of games last year and saying, man, I don't like the expanded playoffs, but this week was pretty fun. <laughs> so uh, there was that. I guess we'll have to see. It's probably not going to happen this year. Anybody's guess as to what happens in the future. Um, our great thanks to our guest, Shakia Taylor, who was a whole lot of fun to talk to. Please go check out her article on F Manly and vote for her if you like at the Saber Analytics Awards. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.